0: The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, they're, they're spoilers and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch The Many Saints of Newark. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? Nice cold. Visa. Also with us is Elizabeth. What's up, Elizabeth?
1: Hi, Kerwin.
0: Uh, how you doing today? Good. And what are you drinking?
1: I'm drinking Buena Vista.
0: Nice. Uh, I also have a Buena Vista. <laughs> so Yeah, this is a, it's a great day. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we are talking about the uh, Many Saints in Newark. Uh, it stars Alessandro Nivola, Leslie Odom Jr., Vera Farmiga, John Barenthal, Corey Stoll, Ray Liotta, Michaela De Rossi, and Michael Gandolfini. It's directed by Alan Taylor and distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures. Let's get into our experience. Uh, Elizabeth, what is your experience with Many Saints in Newark?
1: Um, So Jason has made me watch Sopranos, unfortunately, many, 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 many times. And so I do have some background, like going into the the film. Um, We went to go see it. Help me out, Jason.
2: It was opening day um, that Friday at the Cinemark in Rialto. So we went that night, uh, sat in theaters.
1: Yeah, it was pretty great. I don't know if I just haven't been to the movie theaters in a long time or at Cinemark specifically, but I felt like popcorn and beer was a lot cheaper than I used to yeah, paying like at Harkins or other theaters. I was thinking like, it's like $15 for a large popcorn. It was like seven something. Like So that, I was already in a good mood like going into the movie. So I think that kind of helped. But um, I think Jason was shocked that I was down to go watch it um but how can you not be after you know all the backstory um and haven't been to the movies in a long time so
0: so sopranos just changed your life didn't it
1: i can either confirm or deny that statement
0: we'll we'll confirm it (laughs) um my experience with this movie uh regarding the show never really seen the sopranos i know very 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 little about it um outside of things I know from like the fandom wiki or like Wikipedia or like talking to YouTube about it. Uh, So I went into this movie pretty blind. I saw this movie (laughs) right after I had watched Venom 2, (laughs) Let There Be Carnage. So I came from watching Venom and I was just like, I got to get the taste of shit out of my mouth. (laughs) And, and I was like, if I don't watch something soon, then there's gonna be carnage if I don't watch something else. Um, so I got home, uh, flipped on HBO Max, shout out to Michelle, my sister, she, she got me the password, and then uh, I watched that movie, um, I think it was up to like 2 a.m. watching it, and it was good, I, I'm glad I watched that. Uh, and then for this podcast, I watched it again uh, last night, uh, took some notes, but uh, yeah, that's my experience. Uh, what about you, Jason? So to
2: elaborate on what Elizabeth said, first, <laughs> She said she was excited to go watch the movie, opening night.
1: I would be excited to go watch any movie if right. there was beer and popcorn. All so. right. She's
2: like, but she was really excited to go watch it. And the popcorn experience itself mm-hmm. is just crazy because we get popcorn, we have to get, you know, a separate tray for me because she gets um, popcorn with her butter, essentially, because she puts so much freaking butter on this stuff. So that's a whole experience in itself. We could do a whole podcast on that. Um, but yeah, so. I was excited to see this movie again. Like, I hadn't been in theaters in a while. I think the last thing we watched was Wrath of Man, at least myself was in theaters, was Wrath of Man. And uh, we went, and it was a great experience because I feel like a lot of the people that went to go watch it that night were fans of The Sopranos. So, um, you know, if there's an inside joke made or a reference to the show, people reacted positively. Like, you could feel the energy of the crowd excited to see this because I feel like it's been rumored and talked about for so long. So I really liked that.
1: I think another layer to that is, we haven't experienced that in years, it feels like, because of COVID, you know, like we you, you couldn't really go to the movies, you couldn't really have that experience. It's not the same as like sitting in your living room and paying $20 to watch a new release. It's like you don't get that crowd energy.
2: Yeah, because I feel like if we were to watch on HBO Max that night, as opposed to going to the theater, like we would have been like, oh shit, and just kept watching. But like instead you get like this whole crowd experience. So like. I don't know, I, did, I thought it was like kind of special to go do that in the theater because we did know a lot of the backstory, at least I did, Elizabeth New Parts, because she kind of probably checked out of every single episode, 10, 15 minutes in.
0: Um, but yeah, great experience. All right, cool. Before we get into behind the scenes, let me hit you with the financials. Uh, I've never done this before. I know. It's yeah, my first time, yeah. Uh, so the financials for uh, Many Saints in Newark. The budget was uh, $50 million uh, as far as box office goes. Uh, this movie opened in the U.S. on October 1st, 2021. And uh, it was also available uh, on HBO Max at the same time. Uh, but it did get released a week earlier in the U.K. and I believe Italy. Um, opening weekend, it made uh, about $4.6 million in the U.S. and $1.3 million internationally uh, It's weekend of release It came in at number 4 The top 10 that weekend was uh, Number 10 uh, ten, which made uh, $533,000 uh, Number 9 was The Jesus Music Which made uh, $533,000 as well uh, Number 8 was Jungle Cruise Which made $703,000 Number 7 was Candyman And it made $1.2 million Number 6 was Free Guy uh, Made $2.2 million. Number five was Dear Evan Hansen, which made 2.4. Many Saints, like we said before, uh, came in at number four and it made uh, 4.6 million. Number three was uh, Shang-Chi, which made 6.1 million. Number two was uh, The Addams Family 2. I think there's an animated film that made uh, 17.3 million. And uh, number one that weekend was Venom, Let There Be Carnage at 90 fucking million dollars. Wow. Yes. yes (sighs) yeah and anybody listen don't get me wrong I actually liked the first Venom I'm not even gonna lie I actually did like the first one but this second one can't wait to review that with you guys um (laughs) As of the date, as of the day of this recording, uh, October 23rd, 2021, uh, Many Saints of Newark has made uh, $8.2 million domestic and about $3.3 million internationally for a worldwide total of just under $11.5 million. But uh, another thing I want to get into is uh, the streaming aspect. Because this movie did, you know, release on HBO Max the same day, and it's still streaming. Uh, this movie was streamed one million times its opening weekend, according to Samba TV. I have no idea what Samba TV is, so I looked it up on Wikipedia. Uh, they are the global leader in omni-screen advertising and analytics, based in San Francisco, California. Samba TV is built directly in the TV or set-top box, you know, in your home. So, like your cable box, satellite box, TV apps, etc. Um, and it has the capability to recognize on-screen content and uh, make relevant information available to users upon their request. And uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, this tech can track what's on your screen by reading the pixels uh, as you watch, and it takes that user data to provide recommendations in-app and on other connected devices. It can even track what video games you're playing uh, based on the pixels as well. Using picture-perfect AI technology Uh, It can actually optimize the picture on your device in real time by recognizing if you're watching, you know, like a live event, like sports or an award show, playing a video game, watching a TV show or a movie. Uh, and more. Uh, It can even do this uh, image optimization without an internet connection. Uh, But outside of that, according to Variety, uh, Many Saints caused uh, The Sopranos Show viewership to jump 65% and uh, it set the record for the highest daily viewership since the HBO Max service became available. So with all that being said, um, how do y'all feel about Samba TV? Uh,
2: I think Elizabeth and I both looked at each other at the same time when you said it can still monitor or interpret if you're not connected
0: to the internet? Uh, That's only for the, um, the picture optimization. But that's still a trip. Yeah, it's still crazy, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't like that. I. I don't have a problem if it's just for adjusting the settings, like Because autom- like your phone does that too. Like in light, it can adjust this, like the brightness and stuff. Of course. I, I look at it that way, where it's just like um, the the hardware itself. Like it it assists the hardware in optimizing the picture. Like I don't have a problem with that. I'd be concerned if it could recognize what I was watching while I was offline. Like if I'm putting in a DVD. And, it, and it's registering what I'm watching while it's offline, that's weird. But if I'm using it in an app, there's probably some sort of agreement that we all signed when we paid that Netflix membership sure. that allows them to do this stuff. But still, yeah. I mean, who the hell reads that?
1: But if you're connected to Wi-Fi and you're watching your DVD,
0: oh yeah, it, it's it,
1: running in the background, it can so is tell. it still?
0: It can tell what you're Taking watching. Taking
1: in that information,
0: depending on what kind of device you have, it can it can still like read the pixels on your screen. Is this like
1: Instagram when you have a dream about something and then there's an
0: ad? Okay, remember when we were talking about Blondie? Where I was hanging at your guys' house, yeah, and we just happen to be talking about Blondie. I go home and my Instagram literally has like Blondie collection, Blondie merchandise. Like the first ad I see, and I'm like. We didn't even search Blondie, we talked about Blondie. Uh-huh. And I'm getting ads for Blondie. Like I, I went mm-hmm. shopping at a Nordstrom Rack two weeks ago and like uh, me and the girl I was with, we both got ads like on our devices for Nordstrom sure. Rack like the following day. It's, it's insane, yeah. it is honestly terrifying. <laughs> it is, Skynet. I know, right? Judgment Day is upon us. Yeah, yeah. Nice. But let's see how the critics judge this movie. Uh, Jason, what do the people think?
2: So, according to Rotten Tomatoes, seventy-three percent of the uh, critics liked it, with an average rating of six point eight out of ten. I get it; I think that's pretty fair. Fifty-nine percent of the audience gave it a three point five out of five or higher, with an average rating of three point four out of five. So, slightly lower than the critics. I think that the audience score may be lower. Now, again, we talked about the viewership; like, at least in theaters, it was you know pretty pretty awful. Um, Streaming wise, it seems like it did pretty good, but on hbo max and you're sitting down on a friday night you want to watch a new movie i get it if you go to watch this and you don't know any backstory you could be kind of critical even though you know david chase's intent was to create this this crime drama that anyone can sit down to and watch and enjoy like outside of being a sopranos viewer or not um i don't know i think that's kind of harsh but i kind of see why that might be lower honestly um but that's you know that's up for debate. Uh, some of the reviews, there's a couple that gave it a rotten score. Um, one of them is from John Anderson, American Magazine. He says, as becomes almost immediately clear, there was no real reason for the movie to have been made. No inspiration for it that was not commercial. So kind of just doing it for the money, I guess. I don't agree with that. I think it came out, what was it? I think Sopranos ended in 2007 or eight. So you know, we're talking 13, 14 years later. If they wanted to capitalize on it, I think they would have done it when James Gandolfini was still alive. Continued the story, that might have been something to capitalize on the fandom and you know the viewership of the show. But that's just me personally.
0: We can say that as far as like oh they're trying to cash in or whatever, but I'm just kind of like what franchise doesn't like how many reboots and sequels and like like universes have been trying to be created like. Like you can't like yeah we can be mad but it's just like we're gonna be mad at the Sopranos for doing it too like they're their major TV franchise if they want to do the same thing too do it like like I, I get the feeling you know the feeling I I can understand it but I'm just kind of like like if that's your one reason for hating the movie I I don't get it yeah
1: would anyone make a movie if they weren't gonna make money
0: that's the whole point
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah no I, I I understand that too but. I don't feel like that was the intent the other one that kind of stuck out to me and again this is kind of like a deep dive into the sopranos but this person uh matthew gilbert from boston globe said the movie was to borrow an image from the pine barrens episode like sucking ketchup packets and there's an episode where um paulie and chris get lost in the snow And they find this abandoned van and they haven't eaten all day. Chris has been hit in the head. He's bleeding. They're freezing. Paulie lost his shoe. They find this abandoned van. They climb in and they find like this discarded uh, fast food bag and there's like ketchup packets. So they're starving and they eat the ketchup out of the packet. So he's comparing this movie to like one of the worst days of their life. Mm. So not a fan, I guess. Uh, (laughs) uh, On IMDb, average rating was a 6.4 out of 10. There's was over 28,000 reviews, which I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I know it's a newer movie, but I feel like most of the movies we do, there's hundreds of thousands of reviews, at least over 100,000. But maybe it's because it's newer. I don't know.
0: How how many did this one have again?
2: Only 28,000. 20, 20,000? Yeah, so 20,909, that, that's it. So I, I think it's kind of low, personally. Um, but like I said, it was 6.4 out of 10. Uh, again, looking at the demos, the highest ranked demos was all in males over eighteen, or sorry, under eighteen, with a seven point five out of ten. Um, but there was only nine votes. And then, looking at the lowest one was females uh, eighteen to twenty nine, it a six point two. So relatively all around the same when you look at the amount of
0: votes. But yeah, that's the ratings. Uh, so Jason, take us behind the scenes.
2: All right, so I'm going to put a disclaimer out there and just say I know there's probably at least a few fans casual watchers of The Sopranos, especially with HBO Max now available and all the Sopranos seasons on there. Just want to put out there, do my best on this. You guys want to pick it apart? Go fuck yourself. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to dive into a little bit about David Chase. So like I said, I feel like we have to start with, you know, the beginning, The Sopranos creator, David Chase. He also created The Many Saints of Newark. According to Wikipedia, Chase was born on August 22nd, 1945 in Mount Vernon, New York. Uh, He was born to a working class Italian family. Uh, They they moved to New Jersey where he grew up as a young kid in Clifton and North Caldwell. He had a father that owned an auto shop and according to Chase, constantly belittled him. And then a mother who was very passive aggressive, a drama queen. So we kind of see, if you know The Sopranos, kind of modeling Tony's parents after his own parents. Uh, Chase dealt with depression. Uh, he had panic attacks uh, throughout his young adulthood. Again, very similar to Tony Soprano. Um, it said in Wikipedia that he would sleep up to 18 hours a day because he was so depressed. Um, he attended originally Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, I thought this was kind of cool. Uh, he was a paid musician like during his time in North Carolina, so he was a drummer, and he got paid to do it. Um, he would move on to NYU. Um, where he decided to pursue a career in film, and he ended up at Stanford University School of Film, and he earned his Master's of Arts degree in 1971.
0: Right, he went to some good-ass colleges.
2: Yeah, I thought so too. NYU, Stanford.
0: Wake Forest, like,
2: fuck. But, I don't know, so it looks like he's, you know, he ends up being in film, but I thought that was kinda cool, He's a musician too, at least like a working musician throughout college. I don't know, I think that's always cool. So, Chase started as a story editor and producer in Hollywood, uh, working on some stuff that I'm not real familiar with, but I'll I'll mention them. Uh, Kolchak, The Night Stalker, The Rockford Files, and Northern Exposure. He won an Emmy for a TV movie called Off the Minnesota Strip in 1980, and would create his first original series, Almost Grown, in 1988. Uh, Almost Grown, again, was his first series, but it only lasts for one season. Chase, in Hollywood, was relatively unknown. Um, until he started the Sopranos, his, his original thought was to create a feature film. He had a passion, although he does a lot of TV, he had a real passion for film. So he wanted to create a film about a mobster in therapy and about the mobsters, his mother. So taking advice from his manager, um, Chase decided to turn the production into a television series and signed a production deal in 1995 with Brillston Gray and wrote the pilot episode. Chase really dug, you know, organized crime and mobster movies. David Chase was inspired by crime families in the New Jersey area that he was aware of while growing up. So he actually knew of some of these, you know, real crime families in his area. Um, He was also inspired by some playwrights such as Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams, and he really had an affinity for an Italian director, uh, Federico Fellini, for his cinematic style. It's weird, I read Federico. Fellini and it sounds like one of the directors that is in Inglorious Bastards almost. Were you thinking the same thing? That
1: sounds so familiar. That director sounds so familiar. Like yeah. it was on a poster or something. Was it in Sopranos that it was on a poster? Like there was a movie poster?
2: It probably was on or that too. Or was that
1: I think of something else. It
2: was probably on that too. But I just remember Inglorious Bastards where they go uh to the big movie screening. And like Brad Pitt and the two other guys are posing as like Italian filmmakers, and I feel like one of their names is something Fellini. And I was like, man, this sounds really
0: familiar. Yeah. If it's if it's Tarantino, it's probably like a shout out or like a homage to, yeah. to somebody. Yeah.
2: So I could I don't know. I'll have to go back and watch that. Um, so again, don't fact check me if you want to remember, go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> so moving on to the production of the pilot, uh, both Brad Gray and David Chase took the pilot to a ton of studios, including Fox, who turned it down. HBO decided to finance the pilot, but after shooting it, they were like, "Eh, I don't know what to do with this. So they shelved it for months and Chase, you know, became frustrated, you know, wanting to make his break from TV to film. You know, he took the advice of his management instead of doing a feature film. He was like, let's do a pilot, a TV episode. And he just, he really wanted to do a film. So David pitched shooting an additional 45 minutes and making it a feature film. So the first episode of The Sopranos is called The Sopranos. So they were going to take that first episode and extend it by another 45 minutes and just make it a full-length feature film. Um, but in 1997, HBO chose to produce the series and signed it to um, a total of a 13-episode deal. So they had the one episode plus the 12, a total of 13. The Sopranos debuted on January 10, 1999. David Chase was credited with directing 30 episodes, including the pilot and everyone's favorite, the finale. Um, he was the writer, the showrunner, and the creator for the entire series, though. So, although he only directed 30 episodes, he was, like I said, writer, showrunner, and creator for the entire series. The show would go on to huge success, being revered as the best TV series of all time by Rolling Stone magazine and The Guardian. It went on to be uh, a six-season show, being nominated for the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Drama every year it was on. Jeez. It won in 2004 and 2007, making it the first cable network series to win the award. James Gandolfini, who played Tony Soprano, uh, and then Edie Falco, who played Carmela Soprano, were both nominated for uh, Emmys for Best Actor and Actress six times and won a total of three times combined. So pretty good. Um, According to Hal Bodeker in a Pop Matters uh, article in 2007, uh, he said that The series was, quote, widely influential for revealing that Cable would accommodate complex series about dark characters. The Sopranos ushered in Six Feet Under, The Shield, Rescue Me, and Big Love. Breaking Bad creator Vince Gilligan said in 2013, shortly after Gandolfini's death, without Tony Soprano, there would be no Walter White. So, Kerwin, I don't think you've seen Breaking Bad? No. Yikes. Elizabeth, what do you think about that? So do you think with no Tony... Like, I know we just watched The Sopranos recently. I thought you were asking her, what do you think about Kerwin not having seen Breaking Yeah, back? that's
1: what I was thinking. That's a I whole was, other I podcast. Was,
2: <laughs> that's a whole other podcast I We don't have I was, time read, for that. I was ready to answer that question. No, no, no. That's a whole other podcast. But, <laughs> but Elizabeth, I know we just watched Sopranos. You kind of <laughs> checked <laughs> it out. But I watched it you know, recently. Well, uh, on
1: the ninth time through the entire series, you tend to just stop.
2: What do you think about that statement? Do you think without Tony, like thinking about when it took place, you know, late 90s to early 2000s, there would be no Walter White if there wasn't a Tony Soprano?
1: I agree with that statement. Um, I'm not a huge TV or movie watcher, honestly. Um, so and back like in 1999, I was nine. So I wasn't exactly probably going to be watching The Sopranos at that time, but I, do see like thinking about it and thinking about the series that were on around that time and what the main characters look like and it was very kind of like this cookie cutter sort of they were a family man or they were you know like friends you think of all these series that were on around that time and it wasn't anything too outside of that box so yeah that makes sense
2: yeah, yeah, I think we had film outside of that box, but like as a TV series and especially like a cable TV series, which I think some actors at that time probably felt like, especially if they were film actors, maybe thought it was like the death of them and they went to TV. But doing this um, and then being on HBO, I think this put, you know, HBO always had like comedy specials and they had original programming, but I think this really put them on the map and like made it
0: kind of cool to do this in a sense, maybe, like started that trend. Yeah, because like you definitely saw like, um, like uh at least when I graduated from high school, like 2006, like after that, you definitely saw like a huge amount of more mature, more like a deep dive type stories show up on like not just like um, Cinemax or Stars or HBO, but you also saw like AMC had like a ton of shows like AMC was Breaking Bad. Mad Men, um, you had, like, all these... Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Like, you had all these, like, long format, serious character-driven, like, drama, larger budget series that, that started popping up, like, around the time then we were in college. And I think The Sopranos has, like, a lot to do with that. Yeah, no, I agree.
2: And I think it's, like, again, it's hard to say, like, if you've never seen The Sopranos or, like, Muggs, never seen past the first season of The Sopranos, like, if you can really agree with that Walter White statement. But, again, I could talk about The Sopranos for multiple episodes of this podcast, but I won't. So we're going to switch over to you know the creation of the movie we're reviewing today, The Many Saints of Newark. So the idea for the movie dates back to when Chase was in high school. Um, he had this idea that he always wanted to make a movie about where it's uh, four white men dodging the draft for the Vietnam War. To dodge it, they joined the National Guard that were ultimately sent in um, to the Newark riots in a tank. So it was gonna be about these four guys. That was, that's the original idea. I know this movie's not about that, but wow. that's the original idea. Interesting.
1: Um, so it wasn't about the stains
2: of Newark. Yeah, so yeah, if you hear Elizabeth say, the stains of Newark. Um, <laughs> it's a typo. <laughs> it's a typo,
0: yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I had to double check the the list too because I wrote stains. Cause I thought, I thought it was like, oh, things are going to get bloody or whatever. So I, I
1: because Apple is a bitch. Yeah.
0: Apple, (laughs) Apple has like the worst autocorrect. I have, I have an Android keyboard on my iPhone just to avoid stuff like that. Oh shit. Yeah.
2: Should probably look into that. Yeah, Um, But yeah, so that original story plot never, you know, went to production. A film based on the Sopranos series was originally suggested by Oz series creator Tom Fontana. That's another show that was on HBO, right? Oz, Oz, The Wire, The Wire, too. Yeah, yeah. I think I think those three
0: shows is really what pushed a lot of TV.
2: I agree. Yeah. Um, so the Oz series creator Tom Fontana, like he suggested um, making a movie based on the series of Sopranos. He actually suggested it while the Sopranos was still airing. His thought was it could deal with. Um, Tony's dad, Johnny Boy Soprano, and Junior uh, in the 30s and the 40s. Uh, the film was never made because Chase you know, was just not interested in making it. I mean, he was still doing the actual series at the time. But in 2017, Chase expressed he was not interested in creating a sequel to The Sopranos, but instead creating a prequel. According to an Entertainment Weekly article, Chase says regarding the idea of a film continuing where The Sopranos left off, quote, I wouldn't want to see that happen. Like recasting question mark, people are getting older. You can't match people anymore. I could conceive of maybe a prequel to the series. I can never see a return of the show except as a prequel, end quote. Which I agree with. Um, This created a lot of buzz. Just this quote created a lot of buzz uh, for the potential of a return of The Sopranos. But nothing at the time, so this is back in 2017, nothing was confirmed by anyone, including HBO. There would be no true continuation, especially after the death of James Gandolfini in 2013. Um, If you're unaware, uh, he died of a heart attack in Rome at the age of 51. So David Chase became interested in Newark and the riots that occurred in 1967 that related to uh, some of what Tony would reference to in the early episodes of The Sopranos. Uh, He wanted the main storylines to focus on the tensions between Italian and African Americans during the 67 riots. Chase would visit Newark frequently as a child and he thought about what Tony's boyhood would have been like and that really interested him. According to a Collider video on YouTube, Director Alan Taylor said it was difficult to include all the storylines with different characters, so some were dropped in the editing room with Chase. So again, if you guys have seen this movie, you can see that a lot of the movie revolves around the Newark riots, and there's you know multiple storylines going on around it. So I wanna just you know brief you on what happened in Newark um, in 1967. So leading up to the riots, Newark experienced what is known as white flight. And I feel like a lot of cities around the country during you know, the mid to late 60s this. I know my mom's talked about Gary, Indiana, uh, and other places where this happened. Um, and it was due to the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944, also known as the GI Bill, that allowed for education benefits as well as low mortgage interest rates, et cetera, that favored white people who served in World War II. White people moved out of Newark into the suburbs and black people moved in to Newark. However, black people faced discrimination in housing and jobs resulting in a cycle of poverty. Newark was one of the first largely black populated states but still controlled by white politicians. Two years after the LA riots in Watts on July 12, 1967, a black cab driver named John William Smith was arrested after, and beaten after passing a double parked police car. Smith was charged with assaulting and insulting, um, the police officer. So we see in the movie that, um, John Smith, uh, makes a illegal right turn onto a one way street and parks at the direction of the passenger and the police see that and pull him over. So the actual story is slightly different. When he was taken to the police station, a nearby resident claimed to see Smith dragged into the precinct and beaten to death and the rumor quickly spread. Another witness contacted the Congress of Racial Equality and the United Freedom Party, who after seeing the injuries uh, Smith sustained, had him moved to Beth Israel Hospital. So he wasn't dead yet, but he was beaten very badly. So they moved him to the hospital. During the move, officers that were moving him were struck by stones, looting occurred uh, because they thought that Smith was dead. But once the rumors were dispelled, things calmed for the night. There was a march organized for the next day, the 13th. 500 police officers were present. An unknown woman broke a window at the police precinct, and then looting began. Molotov cocktails were thrown, and officers were struck by bricks. On the 14th, state troopers and the New Jersey National Guard were brought in and were told to fire if necessary. A police officer named Detective Frederick Toto was killed by a sniper from a rooftop building. Officers opened fire on the building. 25 people were arrested. On July 15th, a woman named Rebecca Brown was wrongfully killed by gunfire in her second floor apartment. This led to further upset. According to a OnlyInYourState.com article, by the 17th, 24 civilians, a police officer, and a firefighter were dead, 567 civilians, 67 police officers, 55 firefighters, and 38 military personnel were injured, and 1,500 civilians were arrested and property damage um, exceeded $10 million. During the riots, as industry left the city, so did the middle class, leaving a poorer population. So we could do a whole episode just about these riots because when you start looking into these, you look into the riots in Watts and you look into riots other places. So I think the movie did a good job portraying it. Um, And I think if they're going to make a movie in this time, in this area, um, that they have to address it. What do you guys think?
0: Uh, like right away when I watched this, I was actually surprised like how prominent uh, that that relationship between uh, black people and Italians in uh, in Jersey was. Like I was actually like, oh wow, this is actually like central to the plot because. Like you look at the two top billed guys, it's Harold and and Dicky, and it's just like this whole movie chronicles like the deterioration of their relationship. And I'll get into this in my Trash and Treasure, but I was I was actually surprised because I was just like I didn't know there's black people in The Sopranos. I had no idea that like this character Harold was gonna be featured so prominently throughout the movie and that his relationship as well as um, racial tensions during the 60s was gonna factor so much into this story so like I I actually appreciated that I thought it was gonna be something that might have been like uh, glossed over in mm-hmm. this movie in favor of serving the characters which would have been fine if that's the the aim they were going for but I was actually I was like oh, okay like this is cool like they're actually they're actually going there so yeah.
2: so that's a little bit about the Newark riots um again it's it's very integral to the plot in this movie but again going back to the sopranos. You remember throughout some of the middle seasons where they're trying to you know, build Newark up again. Um, they recognize that because of the riots that happened back in the 60s, like that Newark really hasn't recovered, as have some of the other cities that stuff like this had occurred during the time. So it kind of plays into The Sopranos as well. So getting back to the film, New Line Cinema purchased the rights to the film in March of 2018, with HBO Films having Chase along with Lawrence Connor writing the screenplay. Connor has worked on Superman 4, Star Trek 6, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, and Boardwalk Empire. Kerwin, why are you laughing?
0: Just Superman (laughs) 4. I'm sorry. I don't even even know which one that is. That's the one with um, Richard Pryor, I think. Oh, really? I I think that's, it's either 3 or 4. I forget which one he's in, but yeah. yeah. I just thought it was interesting. I figured you would know.
2: Um, According to Wikipedia, Chase had little concern about alienating audiences who had never seen The Sopranos. Um, which to me it seems like having the potential to be a real challenge because you're making this movie that's going to be widely released and you want people that are just, not not just Soprano fans, you want everyone to come see this and enjoy it. So I, I could see that being a challenge. Um, he wanted to make a crime drama that can be enjoyed on its own but would also follow the Soprano storyline. Chase offered Alan Taylor the opportunity to direct the film in July of 2018. In addition to directing nine episodes of The Sopranos, Taylor has also directed Kerwin's favorite, Thor, The Dark World, Terminator Genesis, Game of Thrones, Mad Men, and six episodes of Mugga's favorite, Sex and the City. According to Wikipedia, Taylor was given a lot more control on the film versus what he had on the episodes of The Sopranos he directed. Um, In a Hollywood Reporter article, Alan says, quote, Doing this in a way that would work for David's vision was a huge challenge, something I would lie awake at night thinking about, end quote. Taylor says, quote, this is the hardest job I've ever done, end quote. In a YouTube video by Hey You Guys with Chase, he says that I was slated to direct the film originally, but because of some illnesses in the family, I went with Taylor. So Chase was slated to direct this, but he talks about he had some illnesses. He didn't really get into what it was, but there was some stuff that happened, so... He gave it to Taylor, which I think he did a good job with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm gonna move to some of the cast. So we gotta start with Dickie Moltisante, Alessandro Nivola. Uh, He plays Christopher Moltisante's dad. Alessandro has been in Face Off. Do you remember him in Face Off? I recognized it immediately. I was almost sitting up in the theater seat, like, I know this guy. Is he one of Caster Choice people? He's Caster Troy's brother, Pollux Troy. No, that's him. Mm-hmm. That's Bro. Pollux Troy. Yeah, it was funny too because Elizabeth and I were at my grandma's like a couple weeks ago. Faceoff <laughs> was on too, and I was like, my grandma's about to like turn it down or change. I was like, Grandma, what are you doing? You were leaving this on. Uh, he was also in Jurassic Park three. He was the one I think trying to get the eggs, and he had the little bag. I, I, I can't, I can place him, but I can't tell exactly what he was doing. And he was also in Time Code. He had to audition for the part. And he didn't hear back for a month. Um, according to a New York Times article, he told his agents to call Chase and ask if they had decided. And if they didn't go with him that day, Navola was out. He's like, told his agents to call him. He said, if they're not going with me today, if they don't make a decision today, I'm done. Don't even consider me. Four hours later, he got the call that he got the role. Chase told Alessandro to not feel handcuffed to anything said about his character in the series. So... Again, you don't see Dicky Moltisanti in Moltisanti in the series at all, except for, I believe, a photograph. You just hear about stories about him. But yeah, that's a little bit about Dickie. Um To get into the Tony Soprano character played by Michael Gandolfini, um, obviously we know that this is James Gandolfini's son, which I think is the coolest thing. He was actually in the 2018 version of Oceans 8, a movie called Down the Shore, and 10 episodes of The Deuce on HBO. If you guys don't know what The Deuce is, do you know what The Deuce is? Yeah, I drop one every day. Yeah, um, <laughs> you can drop it on this show because uh, we tried to watch this based on a suggestion from our friends, Elizabeth and I, we, or at least I tried to watch it. And within the first episode, James Franco's in it, has a good cast. Within the first episode, I saw a lot of male nudity. <laughs> And it's supposed to take place, I believe, in the 60s and 70s about like prostitution and pimps and all this stuff. And I was like, James Frank was in this. I was like, I'll give it a shot. It's like, I think there's three seasons of it. But yeah, he was in 10 episodes of that. I couldn't tell you because I didn't make it past the first. Only 45 minutes still deep into it. I
1: don't think we finished that first episode because it was, I was so not prepared for the- The amount of penises on the screen. Vulgar scenes and I was like I don't e- I can't even focus on what the plot is right now because I'm so like I'm so upset like what am I even watching
2: if you guys have never seen it just watch the first episode it's long as fuck it's a movie itself but watch it and then leave a review on this Instagram
0: post will, what you think of the
1: deuce that will tell you everything you need to know
0: we should do an extra credit where we make people watch the first episode and then talk about it after <laughs> we gotta do that
2: yeah Yeah, it's interesting. Um, So, Michael Gandolfini had to audition for the part. From what I was reading, uh, both Taylor and Chase were a little unsure, but as Michael was leaving, he said, quote, "'Thank you for letting me say hello "'and goodbye to my dad again.' "'And this sold them on giving him the part.'" I'm sure a lot of people know this, I think this is the craziest thing, but Michael had never seen an episode of The Sopranos until he began preparing for this role. Michael said in a Jake's Takes interview, He had never experienced Tony Soprano as a kid while his dad was filming. James had a studio in his New York apartment that was like behind a fake bookcase door. So Gandolfini would go open the door and kind of go back there and rehearse his lines. It was soundproof uh, behind this bookcase. So like Michael really never got to see the, the Tony Soprano character that his dad played. He said when he went to the set while he was a kid to visit his dad, uh, he was James, he was not Tony. He would just be eating and laughing. Like he never saw that Tony soprano side. Um, According to IMDB, Michael Gandolfini had to redo many takes as his portrayal um, because after watching he really got into character, he was sometimes too close to his father's interpretation of the character. And Chase and Taylor's vision was Tony as a kid, like not in this life yet. So I think after watching, you know, all the Sopranos and getting to that, like he kind of like felt that from his dad, and it was getting into it. And like they had to tell him to back off, go back to like being more naive and playing this as a child and growing into this character. So mm-hmm. that was kind of cool, like total switch, like not really knowing him and then like being like too much like him. <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> yeah. cool. Um, we also have to talk about Leslie Odom Jr., who plays Harold McBrayer. Um, he was not in the series, so this is a new character that they're introducing. He's known for his role in Hamilton, Uh, I believe it was the 2020 version released on Disney Plus. Uh, He was on Murder on the Orient Express and in the movie Harriet. He is an Emmy-nominated actor and an R&B singer. New character to the Sopranos universe, like I said. Uh, He said in an NME.com article that he did not know he was auditioning for the film. He was only sent notes at first from Chase and Taylor, but no script. He wasn't considered for the first round of auditions, but Chase and Taylor kept sending him notes and told him to audition again. He recalled them being very tight-lipped about the project. Odom said, quote, I could have been auditioning for the Garfield movie. If these scenes are from the Garfield movie, you are in good shape, end quote. <laughs> literally said that. What? Like, literally no idea what he was doing. And I think... Maybe he was unfamiliar with the Sopranos, but again, his character is not in the Sopranos. So, like, how would you really know? I get it, and it's just notes. It's just like lines or little excerpts, like not a whole script. So he had no idea what he was doing. I just think that was hilarious that he thinks the Sorry. lines were for the Garfield movie. They're in good shape. Clarify who this is, because I'm still confused. This is um, this is Harold McBrayer. Um, he is so like in the very beginning of the movie, Dickie and him partner up. They're chasing that kid through the through the field. Um, do you remember when the kid's running away and he runs into the military office, the army oh, office to enlist? Okay.
1: Uh-huh. The guy
2: that comes in with the shotgun.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Um, the Guma hooks up with Harold. Oh, okay,
1: yes. okay, okay, okay. I was like, is you, this in the grand scheme of things? I don't know yeah. names. Yeah, I'm, he's
2: like, he's like the co-star. He's like the star of the no. movie.
1: I, I'm not. You could line up 50 actors, and I could maybe give you 10 of their names. Yeah.
2: We're not talking about Benjamin Button. We're talking about okay, many well, saints. Okay,
0: we got to do one. Of, you know how those things where they're just like, "Grandma, who who's this actor or athlete?" And then she has to like name them, and then like you get the weirdest names. I think we got to do that. We got to name up like fifth. We got to line up like fifty actors.
2: I think we like all take bets too. Like how yeah. many is Elizabeth? Like we have like a over or under.
1: Yeah, it <laughs> would be a disaster.
2: We have to do that. Yeah, we have to. I think I would win. I think I would because I would know that it's zero. Um so the next person we gotta talk about is um, Corey Stoll, who plays Corrado Jr. Soprano, who was originally played by Dominic Chianisi um, in The Sopranos. Uh, so Corey Stoll, House of Cards, he's in Born Legacy, Salt, the number 23, pretty extensive resume. I loved him in House of Cards, I think he did a great job. Yeah. Um, on an insider.com article, uh, he talks about rewatching all of The Sopranos to get into character. He would also shout, your sister's cunt. To help get into the role. In an inverse.com article, Stoll said he didn't want do you see it like I just blew right past that. Uh, in an inverse.com article, Stoll said he didn't want to reach out to Dominic because he didn't want to bother him. He's done his job. It was his job to fill in the blanks with the backstory. So like he wanna reach out to Dominic Chianese, but he's like, you know what? I already have all the footage I need, all the backstory, it's my job to carry this on. So I think personally. He probably did the best portrayal of a character from the series. I think he freaking nailed it.
1: White stri- stripe. This is the guy with top hair.
2: The bald dude. No, you're talking about Sill. You're ta- no, the bald guy with oh. the glasses. Jude. Junior. Jude. No, they call him. Okay, so
1: if you watch Sopranos, you will notice that they many times say Jude, but Jason says they're saying June, which like makes no sense at all. But anyway, so yeah, apparently Junior. I'm making giant air quotes as I'm saying that. Um, yes, he did He did an amazing job. I think they were all great, though.
0: I just call him Yellow Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> glasses, big Very glasses. Yellow Jacket, too.
2: Um, but it is June. I don't know how you understand that June is short for Junior, but that's a whole other who, episode. Who calls
1: anybody June? I don't know. As a short for Junior. I've like literally never heard that.
2: Well, now you have. Uh, John Barenthal plays Johnny Boy Soprano, Tony's dad. John Barenthal was Wolf of Wall Street, The Punisher, Walking Dead, pretty pretty extensive resume too. Um, uh, Vera Farmiga plays Livia Soprano, Tony's mom, um, who is played by Nancy Marchand in the uh, the series. Vera is known for The Departed, The Manchurian Candidate, and Godzilla: King of the Monsters. Uh, this is also one of Muga's favorite
0: actresses. So. Wait. That's right. She was the mom in uh, Godzilla King of... Oh, my God. I didn't even recognize her.
1: Is this the one that I was like, that looks like mm-hmm. Tony's wife? Yes. What the is What is her name? Carmella. Carmella.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, did did you notice that... Well, you haven't no. since friends. And Jason's going to deny it. I have nobody. Um. So, <laughs> watch both, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Tony's... Ma, "Quote unquote," mom looks exactly like Carmela
2: in The Sopranos. Right. So his so his mom in the
0: movie his looks like movie. his wife in the show. Exactly. Do you like dead wrong.
1: Look. No. Okay. Watch for yourselves and then
0: decide. Is, is he like a mama's boy in The Sopranos? Uh, in a sense. Okay. Because they do have that that whole school counselor moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe maybe there's some sort of complex going on with that. I don't know. Could be.
2: Yeah, who's was wrong on this one? I'm, I'm, um,
1: I'm looking at Kerwin like he's exactly correct because,
2: anyway, yeah, because there's only three of us here and you got to choose one. <laughs> Billy Magnuson <laughs> plays Paulie Walnuts Goltieri. Paulie is played by Tony Cicero in um, the series The Sopranos. Billy is from No Time to Die. He's actually in No Time to Die. Kerwin, do you rec- Did you recognize him or no?
0: Which which person is he?
2: So it's hard to describe. Um, okay, so do you know the scene where they have like the torque wrench and they're putting the guy's mouth? The guy in the yellow. Oh, who doesn't want to get his jacket dirty? Yeah, he's kind of
0: like—is he the dude that steals the TV and drops it off at the funeral? He's yes. Like, oh, here's your three C's. This is RCA. Yep. Okay, I th- I think I might have an idea who he plays. I okay. think I, I think I know.
2: I should have wrote down who he played. I didn't, so that's my bad. It's all good. Um, he also was in a movie called Game Night, and he was in the New Aladdin. And The Big Short as a mortgage broker. So,
0: pretty good resume. Game Night is fucking hilarious, by the way. I've never seen it. That movie's mm-hmm. fucking funny.
1: Oh, I think I have.
0: Yeah.
1: Is it with the... No. Maybe I'm thinking um,
0: about it. There, there's one movie like it. It's where they play Tag. And that has Jeremy Renner mm-hmm. and a bunch of people. But Game Night, I believe it's the dude from Arrested Development. I forget his name. Um, it's the guy from Arrested Development. But, like, that movie is fucking hilarious. Okay. We'll have yeah. to watch it.
2: I know who you're talking about. Uh, so to prepare for the role, Billy spent a day with Tony Cicero to get a better idea of Polly too. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, Ray Liotta, he plays Hollywood Dick and Sally Multisante, Dickie's dad and uncle, obviously. Uh, we know Ray from, you know, Goodfellas, Smoking Aces. He's also in Observing Report. We'll get into Trash and Treasure about him, but I just got to say, I just I, I did not like Hollywood Dickie, but I liked him playing Sally in the prison. I just that's just my thoughts. But we'll get into that. Um, and then rounding it out, I just want to point out um, John Magaro. He plays Silvio Dante. Um, he was in the big short, The Finest Hours, and The Box. So he was the one with the toupee. Okay. So that's Sil, the guy that runs the yes. Bada Bing in The Sopranos. But I just think this is such a cool fact. The original play, person in The Sopranos that played Sil was Stephen Van Zandt. And Stephen Van Zandt. He was actually the leader of the E Street Band, so Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Mm-hmm. So Bruce and Steven were were actually like a team together before like Bruce Springsteen was really known, and still went on to create like his E Street Band. I just think it's so cool that he's like an actual musician outside of this whole Sopranos universe. Like mm-hmm. he has this whole other fame outside of it. So I thought it was cool. Um, you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy.
0: No, no, that's cool <laughs> info. <laughs>
2: uh, So just some about the production. Filming began in April of 2019 and finished in June of 2019. That's quick. quick. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was quick too. Especially for a period piece? Yeah. 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 So there were reshoots that were postponed due due to the pandemic, um, but resumed in September of 2020. Um, Also COVID impacted the editing, forcing the process to take much longer than usual, Um, but Chase and Taylor used it to their advantage to create the final cut. They started shooting in Brooklyn and then moved filming to Newark to recreate the riots of 67. Uh, they transformed storefronts, recreated old signage and landmarks using photos and footage from the actual events. So they looked at all the photos and footage and like really created some, I I think that's one of your favorite parts, Elizabeth, just how well they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, according to Wikipedia, there were some thoughts that the scenes from the riots wouldn't be sensational enough. Um, and even if they were appropriate, following the recent events of George Floyd. But after showing the film to some consultants and actually watching um, Odom Jr. watch it as well, uh, they felt that the film um, would avoid controversy. So after watching the film, how do you guys feel about that? Do you think they made the right call? Do you think it invokes anything or brings up those feelings from what happened last year?
0: I mean, mean, for me, like the stuff always does. Like for me, that's unavoidable. But like, uh, I mean, like when I watched it, I I never felt like, oh, like this is too close to you know what happened, et cetera, Because I'm like, I'm like, yo, if we're if we're making this uh, this kind of period piece or we're going back in time, like this is the shit that happened. Like if it's if it's relevant to the story, this is the shit that happened. Like I I would be more irritated if things were like sugar coated. That that would bother me, like like I said before, one of the things that I appreciated is that they didn't shy away from it. Like I actually do appreciate when we don't shy away from these things because these are things that happen. It's not it's not the filmmakers' fault that things happen today when it comes to telling stories about the past, where you know racial tensions were just as relevant, you know, as they are today. So it's just like I'm cool with it.
2: Yeah, I I think they did a good job. I think they had to address it. I think it fits the show too. Like they talk about why Newark is the way it is and it it just portrays it like, well, I think it it fits. You have to address it. Um, Especially because it takes place there too. Like you got to talk about it.
1: Yeah, you have to talk about it. I don't like seeing blood, guts, gore like on any level. Like no matter what the movie is about, like I I don't want to see it because I feel like I have nightmares about it or, and so it's like, it was on my trash is like violence is, is something I just don't wanna see. Like I don't wanna see the drilling into the teeth and all that stuff like that. That's hard to watch for me, especially. Um, but you're right, I think it has to be, has to be talked about, has to be a part of the movie. Like it's, it's important that it's not glossed over as, as Kerwin said.
2: So that's all I have like really about the movie, but I have some fun facts I just wanna go over real quick. And this is more for probably the fans of the show too. I just want to point out some of the stuff that IMDB points out as well as what I saw. One cool thing um, is that when the movie starts, it's obviously Christopher's narration. Um, They're going through the graveyard scene and it's him narrating. Well, that wasn't the original open to the movie. Mm. It was actually gonna be Edie Falco, Carmela, was supposed to star in the beginning of the movie. You mean his mom? No, I mean his wife. Um, Same person. Yeah, okay. but I guess there was a lot of different openings tossed around but and so that one just got cut. But I think that would have been cool to see. But I love the way they did it. I think I would have chosen this. They don't they don't tell explicitly what she was gonna do or anything. They just said okay. she was gonna be in the in
0: the open. So regarding the opening, mm-hmm. um, Maybe this should be in Trash and Treasure, but either way, like, I want to get your guys' opinion. Yeah. Like, what do y'all think about like starting off with the narration, but then we don't continue with the narration by Christopher. We don't continue it. Like, it starts all the way up until he meets Dicky meets uh, his dad's new wife or a girlfriend or whatever, and then like it just cuts off.
2: It cuts off, and then we hear a little bit at the very end, but mm-hmm. right before the credits. You're right. I would have wanted more narration okay. personally. I think I, I would have enjoyed that. But I do appreciate what we got. I think it was cool to hear his voice, even though he's not in this, except for as a little baby. So I don't know. I I like it, but I think there should have been more.
1: I think there's a way to kind of weave that in to the movie. Like, doesn't, I think it gets weird when it's overdone, where it's like you're hearing his voice through every single scene. Like, it didn't need to be that, but maybe just like there's parts where he could have clarified something or said like, and then this happened. You know, like little parts where it's, kind of connecting it to that end piece where he's talking because it just, you're right, now that I didn't even realize that until you said it, that it's so segmented, like he's talking at the very beginning and then he's talking at the very end, but there's nothing in between.
2: Yeah, and there's that one scene where I think it could have been pivotal is when they switch from the 60s to the 70s. And they show Tony like as a young, probably elementary school kid, and then now we're showing him in high school. And it's like, all we get is we see Dicky like kind of standing off in the distance, looking into the street in the neighborhood, and then Old Tony comes up behind. And you're like, "Oh, okay. Obviously, time has gone on. Like that would have been a cool spot for him to like starting with some
0: narration as the camera goes right. up to Dicky or something. Done a I don't little know.
1: more explanation what happened between then and now.
0: Yeah, just I, th- I think like a little more would have been appreciated. I actually do like that they said, you know what? If you never seen The Sopranos shit out of luck we're telling the story and I appreciate that because the last thing if I was a Sopranos fan I wouldn't want a full ass recap either tell the damn story the show's available if you want to watch it go watch it I think the only thing I would say is like continue like like you two are saying like continue like that um, occasional narration because like this story is about this guy's dad you know what I'm saying like it's literally about his father I feel like the son should be a little more involved in the narrative even though he's a baby or not born half the movie but like continue it here and there, give us little tidbits about things, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree.
2: Again, we could pick this apart too. I just, I, I think at the end of the day, if I had to choose him not in it or in it, like his voice, I would choose around have a minute and at least say that beginning part and say, hey, cause it's pretty pivotal throughout the series. Like, and that's a big event that happens and you see, you know, Tony kind of mentoring and developing Chris as we kind of wanted to see Dickie do that to Tony. Um, We saw a little bit of it. We didn't see a lot of it. But um, again, we're getting into trash and treasure, but I agree with what you're saying. Again, we have to talk about some of the fun things that relate to The Sopranos. One of them was when Junior Soprano, or Jude, according to Elizabeth, uh, says uh, Tony doesn't have the makings of a varsity athlete. Um, This is mentioned multiple times throughout the series. And he says that at the dinner table after Johnny Boy comes home from prison. And it's just like, again one of those theater experiences, like everyone's like, oh my God, like what just happened? Like, because it's a very like, not cringeworthy, but you kind of like, oh my gosh, it reminds you of like all the shit that Junior gave Tony about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another relation where Dickie tells um, Sal, um, his uncle, that his wife is having trouble getting pregnant. Um, throughout the series, there's this notion that Adriana, Christopher Moltisante's uh, fiance would have trouble getting pregnant too because it's something that happened in her past. So just as Dickie and his wife are having trouble, so did Chris and Adriana. So there's like that kind of correlation. This is getting to Trash and Treasure, but I'm just going to read this right now. I don't want to talk about it until Trash and Treasure. Frank Lucas as as the dope king, played by Denzel Washington in American Gangster. Uh, We see him in this movie. I I think that was kind of cool. I was not expecting that. Um, I was also not expecting him to wear a black and white chinchilla coat Um, after watching American Gangster. Now me, I don't know a lot about Frank Lucas, but I really did enjoy American Gangster. So I thought that was odd. Um, But again, if you remember American Gangster, that that coat is what kind of led to his family's eventual downfall. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting that they chose that moment in time with that specific outfit to wear. I just thought that was weird. Again, we see where Tony is waiting in the ice cream shop for Dickie to come. So, in that scene where Tony's going to like try to talk to Dickie at the the warehouse, and Sil comes down and says, Hey, he's not here. They turn off the lights, whatever. That next day, like Tony, I believe, goes to wait for Dickie um, at Holston's. Well, if you know The Sopranos, that's the scene where the final episode takes place is in holston's mm-hmm. so you see him waiting in there and I like you start to look at it and it's like you see the booths you see the glass cases like this is exactly where the last episode happens i thought that was a cool callback we see you know that junior and just a spoiler alert again all of this has been spoilers but junior ultimately had dicky killed like he hired someone to go kill him and it's just weird because And it was all because Dickie laughed at him falling down the steps at the church. Like, that's the only reason why Dickie got killed. Um, But you think about the first season, and we were just watching it before we got here, The Sopranos, where Junior's trying to get Tony killed. And Junior wants to be this person in power. Like, he wants to be the head of the family. But he's, in my opinion, slightly incompetent. Like, he's not capable of running this family. So I think Junior... Although Dicky laughed at him, he also saw Dicky rising. Like when Johnny Boy comes out and says, "Dude, why are you fucking shit up?" Like Dickie's dad died, and he's handling business. Like I get out, and you're bitching about A, B, and C. He's like, Dicky's handling business. Like you need to step up. And you can just see like small little looks that Junior gives. And you could just tell like he's putting it together. Dicky's gonna be the next boss. He's like, No, I'm in line. Especially if my brother goes back to jail. It's just because that was also a big question in the show. And I, I, I'm sorry for going into depth about this, but I think this is a big deal because. There's an episode dedicated to where Chris is kind of pissed off with Tony. So what Tony does is he drives by this restaurant, and in the restaurant is a retirement party for a police officer. And Tony tells Chris, hey, that's the guy that killed your dad. Mm. So the guy's retiring from the police force, it's like his celebration party. So Chris is like, what the fuck? I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, like, like Tony gives his bullshit story about like how they're you know connected and whatever. And so Chris goes and kills this guy, like, in his house. It's never really discussed after that. You never really know if it really was or wasn't. Was Tony just, like, trying to get Chris on his side? And it's kind of like his olive branch saying, hey, like, I know you're pissed, but at least I showed you who killed your dad and you can get revenge finally. But now we know that it was Junior all along. So I thought that was, like, kind of closing the loop on that. And the last thing I'll say about any kind of fun facts was um, this is where the movie, like, I noticed this the first time I watched it, and I know they got it wrong. Was um, there's an episode called Soprano Home Movies. And um, it's later, it's the last season. And they tell this story about when Tony's dad, Johnny Boy Soprano, shoots a gun through um, Livia's beehive, her hairdo. And in the story in The Sopranos, it's it's a junior soprano and his guma, his girlfriend, in the car. But in the movie, we see it's... Dickie and his wife in the car. Mm -hmm. So that's like one glaring thing that it's like, like it's explicitly said the last season, the Sopranos who was in the car. I don't know why they chose to go this way. Again, Dickie's the star of the movie. Maybe that's why, but it's a very specific story, like shooting a gun in the car while they're driving home through his wife's hairdo, like almost blowing her goddamn dome off. And it's like, why do you pick? There's only four people. Like, why do you choose someone else? Why? Why do you do that? I just, I didn't like that, but to thrown and it's supposed to be enjoyable for everyone that's not even a fan so who gives a shit um but yeah that's that's the behind the scenes <laughs> sound a little okay? bitter jason are you right do you sure you like the sredos are you sure you like this show i do but i don't like when they fuck shit up like that okay. i really don't like it's it's a small detail that should be known it's like one, from the most recent season you don't say you know dad's friend you just say you say someone specific? You say Junior. My uncle's in the car. So Jude. You say June? Yeah, Jude. You say Juniors in the car. So like why do you put Dicky? I'm just saying
1: Well, maybe if It's so easy. What's his name? Directed it? And you we, chased it. We it, wouldn't yeah, maybe. We wouldn't be here right now.
0: No, I feel you. Hey, I'm the same way about Star Wars. Just like, oh, it's like, oh, me and Anakin were like best friends and then they're bitching at each other yeah. all through Attack of the Clones. I'm just kind of like, uh, like, yeah. I get you. Yeah.
2: It's just i I get what they did. I get why they did it because Dickie's the star I understand, but it's like like the like stole playing junior nails it. so I'm like, why are we not putting him in the scene to fit? Like I would bet eighty percent of soprano's fans notice that. so that's all I'm gonna say, and that's behind the scenes.
0: All right, thank you, Jason. Uh, now let's move on to uh, trash and treasure. Elizabeth, what is your trash and treasure with uh, the many stains of Newark? what? Saints. Oh. Saints.
1: Saints. Saints. Oh. Did I get one of those in there?
0: Yeah. Jude. <laughs> it's Jude Stains. Oh. Oh. Jude Jude Stains.
1: Okay. Um, so my trash, I think I talked about this a little bit already. Uh I talked about violence. So I I don't like any movie that includes violence. Maybe that's very um childish of me.
2: Yeah. As long as you recognize it. <laughs>
1: But I I don't like horror movies. I don't like blood and guts. It freaks me out, weirds me out. I have nightmares, I can't handle it. Um, So it's a trash, but it's also, I understand why it needed to be included. I get that it's accurate. I'm glad that they included it because it's accurate. Um, But the violence is hard to watch. Watching little Dickie kill big Dickie. Is that, am I saying that right? Or is it big little, okay, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Watching little, it's little Dickie, right? Why do I feel so uncomfortable saying that?
2: Wait, well, I don't think they call him little Dickie. What do they call him? Dickie. Dickie. Dickie.
1: It's little Dickie and Big Dickie. There's no, two of them. No, it's, it's
0: Hollywood Dick and. Lil
1: okay, Dick. so I was doing this to be an yeah. asshole. So little Dickie and Big Dickie, as I was saying,
2: <laughs> watching,
1: watching little Dickie kill Big Dickie. It was uncomfortable because it's like I felt uncomfortable watching that. Like I, I know what's about to happen. I don't know what I would do in this situation. Like I didn't like. It was just all very awkward. Where. I probably didn't want to laugh. I was going to say it's, like, one of those moments where, like, you don't know whether to laugh or be, like, horrified. But when he's, like, trying to close the garage door and it, like, hits the trunk and you're just, like... (sighs) Like, you feel that panic, I guess. Um, So that was a trash for me because it was just so odd. There was a point in the restaurant, I think they're with their gumas, and somebody makes a comment about, like, somebody using vulgar language
2: yeah polycism. like there's
1: ladies here yeah. don't use this vulgar language and i just was like so so we're not allowed to say vulgar language around them but we're allowed to cheat on them and have side bitches and don't let them make their own decisions and beat the fuck out of them like i'm confused like we're not allowed
0: to say bad words but we're
1: allowed to do all this other stuff
0: it's uh was it called on stage off stage yeah
1: yeah It yeah. it it's bizarre i'm like that's I mean, I'm sure that that's accurate for the time, right? Like, I'm sure that that was
2: actually happening. Yeah, probably in that life, in that time, or in that life that maybe that's what happened. In that
1: life, but I also think in that time, maybe it was more But but it's like behind closed doors,
2: like Kerwin's saying. It's behind closed doors.
1: Sure, of course. And again, it's accurate, but it's, I don't like seeing it because it's annoying. Mm Um, baby dick kills Josephina even though he has a wife sorry I keep saying baby dick it's freaking everyone else so now we're downgrading
2: him from little dicky to baby dick
1: oh sorry that's what my notes say I don't know what to do Um, so he's killing Josephina Josephina whatever Um, even though he has a wife so he's upset with her for sleeping with another dude even though he's married like it just I, I get it logically doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I have this in my treasure but I think I meant it for trash or just a a commentary. So I put if he'll do it for you, he'll do it to you. So he's killing the dad, Mm -hmm. Big Dickie, because of the way that his dad is treating Josefina. Mm -hmm. And then he turns around and kills her. Like I think that's very like symbolic in a way of like you think you can take somebody and like change them or like didn't she have to know that that that's how he died? Do you think that she knew that?
2: Uh Josefina?
1: Yeah. Or you think she wasn't she thought it was like an act of god or something? That I, he I, magically died.
2: I I think that cuz we see them kiss like in that little open courtyard behind all the houses right when when varieties.
1: when she was kind of complaining about like he was this man and now he's all of a sudden somebody different and I don't know what to do.
2: So I I think at that point, she's frustrated already. Mm -hmm. And it's like she leans in to kiss him. Like it's very obvious she leans in to kiss him. So I think she gets it. She comes from like what they call like the old country, coming from like Italy. I think she kind of maybe in her head assumed that that happened, but wasn't real concerned. Like she's like, hey, like now I'm with the son. Like I'm with someone, you know, closer to my age. I got over here. I used Hollywood Dick for what I needed to to get over here, and I was I was willing to do my thing. But used use
1: big dick to get to little dick. Uh-huh. Exactly,
2: and now it's like, don't kind of don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. Like, hey, I'm not going to ask about this. Like, it is what it is. I, I'm willing to be with him because I don't like I said. It that's probably what she wanted all along too.
1: You think that once she was she that far sighted?
2: Once you got there, yeah. I think it's
0: like. She used Hollywood Dick to get to America. That's what it was. Well, she even said, like when she's talking to that lady in the salon about, um, oh, I wanted to be a priest. Well, why wouldn't you want to be a nun? It's just like, no, because the priest has all the power. Like mm-hmm. if you're a nun, you just do what you're told. And she she even has that conversation with Harold in bed about how like these Italian men, they just want you to shut up, stay home and you feed them, et cetera. Like she, she has like, long-term aspirations and I feel like um getting with uh, like Dickie's dad was just a means to an end. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, she ran into an even more violent copy of uh, you know, her ex or dead husband, which is the son, which She ran
1: um, into a more violent copy of Dick.
0: Yeah. Right. Violent Dick.
1: Violent Dick. Okay. So that was what I was going to say about that. So that's the end of my trash. So for treasure I have Ray Liotta, Hollywood dick was an entire dick and probably entirely accurate for the time. Again, like I was just so frustrated with how he was treating her like at the dinner table and all of that stuff like it's, it's hard to watch that even though I'm 100% sure that that was happening at that time not only in like the Italian community or like that very specific sopranos type of people but I think that was pretty common for that time like you treated women a certain way and it was acceptable.
2: Yeah. And just what I was going to say earlier, I'll, I'll kind of go off of this, was like, I think they said when, when so Dickie and Tony are going to the boat to welcome, you know, Hollywood Dick and josephine off. There's like commentary going on saying, and it might have been Christopher narrating it. Mm. I, I can't remember who was saying it, but saying that Hollywood Dick was not a made guy. Mm. He owned a Cadillac dealership. He was like one of the most profitable, like soldiers, I guess, for the DeMeo family. But it's like, he wasn't a made guy. He wasn't like a dicky. He wasn't a made guy. So maybe Josefina saw that in Dicky too. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm with this guy. He has money, but he's not a made dude. And it kind of goes along with what you were saying earlier about like the priest and the nun thing where it's like maybe she saw that in Dicky where it's like, hey, no, this is a made guy. Like it's not just this soldier I'm with that has a lot of money that's obviously, you know, could be her dad or whatever. That that could go along with that too. Why they you got keep- together.
1: Sorry, you keep saying made guy. Explain what that means.
2: Like in like okay, so you know in the Sopranos when Christopher like gets the call and they're like, "Hey, wear your best suit, show up." The whole thing with the bird in the window. Like do you remember that? Vaguely. Oh my god. Um so I see I can Tell you t- so many movie references, but you won't know. So okay, so just, like, right. So just explain
1: so, it to so, a layman like myself okay, or anybody else listening to this. So right like, now.
2: imagine you're an employee, and now you're going to get made into a manager. Okay. So now, like, you have people under you, and you're running things. That's kind of like what being made is, in a sense. Okay, so promoted. Promoted, exactly. So Hollywood Dick was not promoted. According to the narration through the movie, he was not a made person. He was not promoted. So Dicky was. Maybe that's. So he wasn't chosen? Whatever um, descriptor you want to use,
0: yeah.
1: Okay, but made, like made means? Okay,
0: so like a made man, because I remember like in a lot of movies, it's just like, you're never, like whenever you kill somebody, it's just like, oh my God, you shot a made man, Like like you shot a made guy. It's just like, there are consequences involved in that. Like if you kill like a foot soldier or something, you know they're collateral, but if you kill like a made man or something, like usually like they're gonna send you over there and you're you're fucked. Like they're they're giving you away because you fucked up some other like rival group or something like that. Like it's that serious to to fuck with a made man.
2: Exactly. Like even like throughout the Sopranos, you see like Tony hit Ralphie, which is another made person, and they're like they get really like upset. And he's like, you don't hit a made guy. Like they're kind of untouchable. Like you don't touch them because it's like you don't hit them, you don't kill them. There's nothing done against them because they are now like initiated into this family and they're at a level where they have people under them, you don't touch them. So like I said, they're more of like a manager type person. So I think maybe she saw that, like she kind of figured that out, like, hey, like, yeah, he's wealthy and owns this Cadillac dealership, but Dickie's like a made guy. and He's gonna be wealthy, he's gonna be going places and he has a position of power within this family. Just, just, that's all I wanted
0: to say. And that kind of explains why she makes the jump to Harold too, because like she's dissatisfied with Dickie and you know she goes to Harold, and she has that whole conversation about like how, like you know he has aspirations, and uh, he accepts her own aspirations and stuff like that, which is why like she's drawn to him as well.
1: That makes sense. I sorry, just needed clarification of what made. Oh yeah, no, I've problem. never heard that before. No problem. Any other
2: questions? Just let me know.
1: I don't watch a lot of movies.
2: Let me know right on the podcast, please.
1: I'm sure there are other people listening who have never heard of Made Guy. Like that's not. I'm sorry, that's not a normal term you just hear.
0: They're
2: probably also living under a rock and don't have Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
0: Yeah. Hey, good good plug right there. (laughs) There you go. I've seen uh, Made in Manhattan.
1: There we go. Now we're getting closer. Okay, so uh, another part of my treasure, visuals, color, frame, backdrop, all of it. I feel like every single frame of this movie was thoroughly thought about. There's colors that, um, coincide with each other. There's color. It's just so like beautifully done that you want to keep watching it. Like that's a big deal for me. We've talked about this in other podcasts that I was in theater in high school. Um, so I look at movies differently than maybe other people do. So I'm looking for things that are going to keep me watching and something that is visually appealing to look at. And I feel like every single piece of this movie was done in a way that makes you want to keep looking at it Um, I loved that the makeup hair costuming was all accurate for the time we were talking about that earlier how they like I was telling Jason as we were watching it like the scenes of the movie where they're going through the streets and there's signage and things all of that was done very like period very accurate very specific and I'm like the person that will pick out anything that's like that's wrong or they didn't pay attention to this or they like fucked up here so I feel like they really took the time and did it all very accurately with every piece of it um, I loved the score in the soundtrack I don't say that often um, so when a movie can do that where I feel like the score blends like seamlessly with the with the scenes and the changing of the scenes like to where you almost don't even notice that there's music playing because it's that well coordinated to what's going on. Like that's a good score. Treasure, they show Tony being involved in very mature situations from a young age. I think that explains some of the why uh, of Tony and like why he does the things that he does why he's messed up and the way that he's messed up is like he's being involved in these very adult transactions from like the time that he probably wasn't even a teenager like when they were first showing him, right? Mm -hmm. Like what age do you think?
2: Well, in the very beginning, it was like elementary and then like when they get to the 70s, he's probably like sophomore, junior high school. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, like too young to be knowing like what's going on but he's at the table. Like they frequently show him like at the table, Maybe not involved, like maybe not in the conversation, but aware, like you can tell that he's aware of what's going on. And I think that shows, that gives you a big look into why he is the way he is during The Sopranos. Um, including the scene from the carnival that's in the show from another perspective. Like you didn't even realize that.
2: Uh, I realized it was from the, the show.
1: No, when it first came on and we were in the theater, I was like, isn't this in the show? And you were like, it is. Yeah, it is. So I pointed it out. I just want everybody to know. I guess I just didn't say it. And I hardly, yeah, I said it first.
2: I didn't interrupt the movie and say that, my bad.
1: (laughs) I said it first. I like to talk during movies, so you've been forewarned. Um, And what happens after that, I think that, was kind of interesting because you, it, it gives you like a plug into the show and then they kind of like show the aftermath of like the kids coming home with the cops and what the mom says.
2: Which you don't see in the show. You don't
1: see in the show, yeah. but it's like, wow, this is like cool to see like what happened after that. Yeah. Uh, the matching up of characters is perfection. Like they, I, I could not have done it any better. Like they match these characters up so perfectly, like hair, um, mannerisms, voice, like all of it, it, it's just done so, so well. And like, I, I feel like I don't see that frequently. Like you, you get a prequel or a sequel or whatever. And it's like, they, they tried, but it's crap. Mm -hmm. This was like, as Jason frequently says, I'm only ever half paying attention to Sopranos being on. And I could tell you which characters were, were which, like it was very clear and very well done. I, I have on here is treasure. The O have Jason demonstrate?
2: Oh,
1: oh, oh. no, okay.
0: Like yeah. Sopranos. I yeah, they so like
1: in the Sopranos, and I feel like they did in the movie too. There's this very it specific. Forced, but yeah. It feels forced, but it's this very specific utterance. Mm.
2: It's usually like said when like something absurd or obscene is said, like or
1: or something's about to happen.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. so. I just like there's so many instances throughout the show that'll happen like multiple times, and sometimes multiple people at the same time will say it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know like there's the one where like little Tony's on the bed and like Dickie says it, but it's usually like a response. Dickie's saying it and then says it while he's talking, which I think is kind of weird and that's why it feels forced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not accurate. It's really supposed to happen like
1: when somebody says something offensive or you're about to get punched because you said something wrong. Yeah. But um yeah, that was that was a treasure for sure. Um Michael Gandolfini is a treasure all by himself. Like I think we talked about this a little bit before, like him playing his father's character. You cannot match that. Like you cannot match the way that he looks, you cannot match the mannerisms. Like that is like so perfect. So glad that they chose him to do it, even though they were rethinking that decision. Um when I think it's the grandmother says some babies know all kinds of things from the other side. That was really like trippy, but also I think central to the whole movie, even though it was such a small part of it. I think I kind of said this before. love that the movie helps explain some of Tony's childhood trauma, being ignored by his uncle like multiple times, like how that all works out. So that is all my treasure. Hopefully I didn't take
0: them all. And your treasure is The Sopranos. (laughs) maybe okay um my trash and treasure um i got to agree with you elizabeth like the acting the cinematography the overall production value of the movie is great um you went into all of that so um but uh like you also said uh casting um michael gandolfini as his dad i think like like seeing it i can't believe they even thought of any other options so like i and then just hearing about like the audition and like the last thing he said that like got him the role like yeah. I, I really appreciated that warms my heart a little bit yeah. Uh, and then uh, I love um, like the production value as far as like how well they place you in the 60s, not just with uh, the visuals and the style and all that, but like with the uh, the backdrop of that particular period in American history. You know, we talked about this in behind the scenes, but I love that. Uh, you know, the, uh, the civil rights movement factors into it. The the Newark riots factors into it. Um, I I love that this movie played or that played a much bigger part in this movie than I was expecting. I was surprised by that, and I was and you know I really appreciated that. Um, I like that this movie. Um, well, uh, well, let me say this. Um, I kind of wish this movie could pick. What it specifically wanted to be about. Because I feel like um, all the advertising is like, who made Tony Soprano? Who made Tony Soprano? And like, you know, we talked about this before uh, we started reviewing, but it's like this movie's not really about that. This movie's more about like uh, Dickie and Harold's deteriorating relationship, it's about uh, Junior um, and his uh, jealousy towards Dickie. Um, it it's about like Dicky's failing relationships with everybody around him that's that's really what this movie is about. So I don't know if I can agree with the advertising. I feel like this movie is all about Dicky and how um as he uh I guess rises, like more and more people seem to drift away from him, whether by choice or by suggestions from others. Like even Sally, his uh his uncle tells him to stay away from Tony, so he has to push himself away from Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just I just felt like um maybe those are the many saints. Who knows? The people that are drifting away from Dickie, maybe maybe that's what, what this is. But um yeah, I, I kinda wish the movie was more about the relationship between uh, you know, kid kid tony and uh and dicky but i did i do like what we got uh at the end of it i do like um what we got overall and then um i do like that this movie kind of feels like it it's left open-ended i kind of Mm -hmm. feel like there could be potential for a second prequel series with the with all these characters or perhaps like maybe uh one or two sequels that lead into uh, the Sopranos. Yeah. Maybe it ends in the 90s or something like that. The way they end it. So I'm I'm curious to see where that goes because like we kind of leave things off where Dicky gets killed. You know, Junior orders the hit. Uh, Tony talks about like a promise being made Harold moves into a white neighborhood at the end and he's got his own operations um, etc so I, I want to know what happens to all these people after because I feel like where we end is such a pivotal moment and we can't let it end there so I'm hoping they give us more and um, just um don't ever call a man's mother a slut. Um he will murder you in your own car and then set you on fire to hide your body. Um I would do that too. Um, Frank Lucas being in the movie, I like that. I like seeing that. Um using the impact wrench to break that guy's teeth was awful. Uh, I couldn't watch it the second time. I thought it was cool the first time, I was like, Oh shit, they went there. And then when I saw the scene coming up last night, I was just like, Yeah, I'm gonna fast forward through this. I don't need to see this shit again. Uh, I don't like gore either. So you know a trash but a historical accuracy that we cannot avoid um you know black people constantly being in positions of servitude even with people they grew up with like Harold and Dicky grew up together playing football together and now like Harold's being a runner you know even going so far as to kill you know another black person at a federal recruiting station putting his life at risk for this other dude that treats him as no more than, you know, his servant, you know what I'm saying? And he even mentions that, you know, had overall been a white kid, he'd still be on the run. They say like, Mm -hmm. oh, the detective died. So like they threw the case away. But he says like, if overall was a white kid, and I shot him at a federal, you know, recruiting station, I'd still be running for my life. I couldn't even show my face in the state anymore. Um, you know, blaming black people for the death of Dickie's father, stealing the TV, and then saying they could blame the Harlem Globetrotters. Shit like that still happens. Johnny coming back from prison and being more mad about black people in his neighborhood than actually being concerned about his four-year absence from his family. Uh, that's pretty absurd. Um the fact that Dicky says, you know, colored men don't have the head for making money, uh, when Giuseppina is in bed with, uh, what's her name? Giuseppina I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is in bed with Harold, and it's just like that shows you kind of like the true nature of their relationship because you would think from the outside looking in they're friends, but when you notice the subtleties of their relationship, like Dicky probably sees this guy as no more than like a good boy. You know, as a, as a fucking employee, like even Harold's girl like calls him, he's just like, yeah, you're just like the Italian's house nigga, like that's who you are. So, um, you know, showing the realities of of those relationships as they existed back then, I appreciated that aspect because I think too many movies shy away from that and they try to put people in savior positions and shit like that. And it's just like, not every relationship needs to be a positive one, like these interracial friendships or whatever, like not all of them were positive, so there's no need to force those in here.
2: And I feel like in the Sopranos too, like they're pretty racist people. Mm -hmm. So it's like Mm kind of keeping with the theme of the show too.
0: Yeah, and then um, you know, uh, I think my sister and I talked about this on Back to the Future. But like uh, when I say uh, I don't want to travel back in time past the 80s or 90s, this is what I'm talking about. So if we ever go on a time travel adventure. I'm gonna stay right here. Everybody else can go back. There's a reason War Machine didn't go to the 60s with Iron Man and Cap. He went to Morag in 2014. So there's a reason he went to another planet instead of back in time on Earth. Um, and then, uh, you know, Johnny putting that bullet in his wife's hair to shut her up was like one of my favorite moments. That was fucking hilarious. But overall, that's, uh, that's my trash and treasure. Jason, what about you?
2: Okay, so I'll get into my trash. There's two things um, I wanna bring up based on your guys' trash and treasure, too, at the end, because I just, little nuances I want to bring up. But my trash is um, Ray Liotta as Dickie's dad. As the Sally character, I liked him as the uncle, but as Ray Lio- as as Dickie's dad, I just felt like it was overacting. Like, him at the dinner table, like, he's kind of being an asshole, and then when they're in Satrials in the pork store in the back, he's, like, telling some story, he like, laughs, like, Absurdly, it just felt really like overacting. Mm. One thing I wanted to touch on was the Sally character. There's like a weird interview uh, that I mentioned earlier during the behind the scenes of Jake Talks or whatever it was. Um, They're interviewing um, Dickie about that scene where he's, or those couple scenes where he's like talking to Sally in prison. Now, in The Sopranos, there's a handful of episodes that are like dream sequence. So it's like you don't really know if this is real or not. We can usually figure it out relatively quickly that it's a dream. But they want to leave some of the stuff for open like for interpretation and uh, uh Navola, he's saying that like hey, those scenes in the prison, it's up for people to believe that they actually happened or not. So there might not be a Sally and there's that one scene where um, he's kind of drifting off in his head about play, uh, being the baseball coach for uh, the blind kids and he kind of drifts off and it's probably like a 30 second sequence and then he comes back and Sally's not there anymore. He's just sitting at the table on his own. So it's just, again, when he said that in this interview, he's like, he he touched on that, those scenes specifically and said like, because they're talking about, again, like, is this movie made for, you know, even non-Sopranos fans and will they get it? Blah, blah, blah. And the ending and even the ending of the Sopranos series itself, they're like, it's, it's, left to, it's left open for interpretation. Like they can make their own decision what they think happened to Tony or what they think is going to happen next. And that's, and he's like, well, this is another thing that's kind of left open. Like we know there's dream sequences and now you see this. So I, I thought that was kind of cool.
0: I wouldn't mind if those were dream sequences because there's a lot to indicate that like he's talking to like his conscience And it's probably taking the form of his dad, because there's a lot of advice being given, and you get the feeling that like his uncle knows everything that he's done. Yeah, is this like
1: all-knowing character? Like, like is specifically asking about Josephina out of nowhere, and it's like, oh, she died. Oh, how sad. What happened? Like,
2: yeah, it's it's weird. And now, like, I want to go back and watch those scenes
0: again, Mm -hmm. and.
2: It it probably is meant to be that it's kind of cool, it's kind of cool because
0: it's just like nobody comes to visit you ever. Nobody, and it's just like, Well, I need you to talk to some guys here. Well, I don't really talk to anybody here, and it's just like all I want is music, and that's it. Like, this person who has no clear communication with the outside world, anything at all, like, I I could believe that this is just some like dream sequence, yeah.
2: And then, like, Tony's so about the music in the movie as well as in the show, so kind of makes sense. Um, Another trash is Tony's mom smoking right next to the baby stroller um, after uh, Janice gets christened or whatever. Or not christened, um, confirmed or whatever she gets done. Uh, They have like a huge party in the backyard, and you just see Olivia smoking right next to the baby stroller, like damn near ashing her cigarette over the stroller. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was like, that's pretty bad. Um, I think the fire looked fake uh, when they burned Dickie's dad. I just thought it looked like shit until like the camera backed up and then the frank lucas i don't know i liked american gangster a lot and i think denzel did a great job i just wasn't feeling it uh with this actor so i appreciate them putting him in i didn't like that he was well wearing the chinchilla coat i didn't like that either um so maybe it was towards the end of like everything with him but i just did not like that like i said just the way the actor came off and he was wearing that coat, it just didn't run me the right way. That's all my trash. My treasure, the opening with, like I said, you know, Chris Moltisante narrating, I thought that was so cool and unexpected to me. When Ray Liotta is like fucking Josefina, uh, and it's loud as fuck, and Dickie can hear it in the next room, I just thought that was hilarious. She's Uh, getting that Hollywood dick. (laughs) She definitely is. Uh, That big dick. uh, I think John Barenthal playing Tony's dad was a great choice, Junior. Uh, I think Silv, Big Pussy, Polly, I think they all did a great job. Hold
1: on, what did you just say? Big say Pussy.
2: What, say what though? <laughs> Big Pussy. <laughs> I think that, I was I was trying to research that a couple of weeks ago, so I was kind of curious, and I think it's, it comes from like being like a burglar, or they call it like a cat burglar, mm-hmm. and if you're really good at it. Like it was a common name, it wasn't just his name. Mm. So, that, I, that's what I
0: read. So people just name their kid Pussy?
2: No, they don't, oh, okay. but they just give him a nickname.
0: Huh. I thought it was like a common name. Yeah. Yeah. Is it like Pussy Galore from 007?
2: It's just like that. Actually, it's just like that. Nice. Um, treasure when Dicky kills his dad, unlike you, Elizabeth. Smashing his head into the steering wheel, I thought was amazing. Um, because That was a treasure for you? Yeah, because I was annoyed with Ray Liotta, so I was like, please. And then we got to see him as Sally. So at least he was better as Sally. I think the reference to the bird flying into the garage Meaning someone's going to die again tying back to the sopranos i like that i think they did a good job having little tony act like aj from the sopranos getting kicked out of school having excuses all the football stuff i think that was like kind of a cool parallel um i think um tony's mom in the movie i think livia she did a great job i'm gonna butcher her name again but
0: um oh vera farmiga
2: yeah mugga's favorite yeah um when Junior said Tony doesn't have the makings of a varsity athlete, like we said in the theater, it was amazing to watch that and just the reaction from people. Again, the beehive shooting scene was cool to see, but even though it was wrong, I think it was hilarious when Sill's toupee comes off. Like when it when they're doing the the scene in the garage, you know, blowing that guy's teeth out. Mm-hmm. And then like he gets up and then Sill shoots him, but his toupee comes off and it's just hanging up. Like I never knew Sill had a toupee during the show, so I thought that was kind of cool. And then um, last thing was uh, Dickie not answering the door when Tony went there. I think it was kind of cool. It was like kind of leaving it open saying like Tony might be able to live a different life. But then the last thing I wanted to point out was another kind of weird thing that I watched in the many interviews I watched was, there's a scene um, when Dickie's dead and he's in the funeral home and Junior walks up and he's standing there and he's kind of like in a daze, right? Hands at his side and then Pussy comes up and like taps him and he's like, hey, junior are you good he's like oh yeah yeah i'm good i'm good and then you know young tony walks up and then we see that you know dickie raises his finger with the pinky and then they pinky promise again again i feel like that's junior getting the shaft again like junior's kind of waiting there Mm. to like be the head of the family and he's like kind of waiting like not waiting for that to happen you know what i mean but it's like waiting to feel something like, hey, it's my time or something like that. And then Tony walks up and then that's when like he comes up and it's like kind of like a weird thing showing like a precursor to the Sopranos, like saying like, hey, yeah, Junior, you might be older. You might be my uncle. But like they kind of call him like Mr. Magoo with the fucking glasses and shit. It's like you're kind of like this off... Kiltered kind of person that can't run this family. Like Tony's destined to do this. Yeah, I thought that was like a kind of a cool scene when you watch it. Like Junior not getting that, and then Tony walking up behind him and he gets that. I thought you're, it was cool.
1: You're probably more accurate, but I looked at it as like I kind of am promising to like take care of your son.
0: He takes like, care of him. Literally
2: right. take care of him. Like, uh,
1: I mean, that's well, not, I guess he chokes him to death. Take care of him before he takes care of him.
2: Yeah. I didn't see it that way at all. I Mm kind of see it like kind of handing it off to him, but it it could be that too. And it also seems like it's like, no, 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 like what you just saw, like I'm also gonna take over and be a part of this life. Like I'm not gonna do something else, go play football or whatever. So that's my Trash and Treasure.
0: All right, so that was it for Trash and Treasure. Uh, Let's move on to ticket prices. Uh, Elizabeth, how much are you paying to watch The Many Saints of Newark?
1: I think I'm gonna say at least 15 I was like teetering between 15 and 20 so we watched it a second time at home and I was still like drawn into it which I don't feel often especially like the second time watching something or the third or the ninth in the case of the soprano series Um, I'm not drawn into it in that same way but when it's that good, like when the cinematography is that good or the storyline is that good, or it's that intriguing to watch. And I like, I have the choice of being on my phone and like half watching it or actually watching it. And I keep getting drawn into it. It's a good movie. It's, it's $15 for me.
0: I'm, I'm stuck between a 10 and a 15. I think, I mean, even, even without like having much knowledge of the Sopranos, like I was really intrigued by this movie. I was drawn in. Um, I think it's really good, and I really, really, really hope we get like a sequel of some sort or a series or whatever, but I think, I think for this movie, I'm gonna go like a low 15 for this movie. I think even not being like a huge fan, like I still got, I still pulled a lot out of it and I appreciated like everything that was going on in it. So yeah, 15 for me.
2: Okay, and then for me, I'm gonna go 15 as well. I think the biggest reason I'm gonna go 15 is because we didn't see a lot of interaction between Tony and Dickie, and that's what I was really hoping to see We saw why maybe Tony acts a certain way. Uh, We saw the mannerisms that Dickie had um, that we see in The Sopranos that Tony kind of um, conveys. But at the same time, we didn't get to see the interaction I was hoping for. Um, But I really liked the movie. I really liked all the nuanced stuff, the the tiebacks to the the series. So I'm going to go solid 15.
0: All right, cool. So uh, we're paying 15. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh, pretty easy. I'm not good at math. Yeah. But, but today, you, you today I am. Today you nailed I am. that one. Yeah. 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 Um, but with Tom Cruise nail, uh, any role he'd take in this movie? Ah, that's tough. Yeah. Who would he be?
2: I don't know. That, I don't know who I would replace. He can't be like John Barenthal, like no. Tony's
0: dad. He can't no. be. He could be. Damn, that's that is hard, man. Like. Yeah. That's what she said. Yeah, he could be uh, the dude at the uh, the recruiting station. Uh, oh, the army guy. Yeah. yeah, he could be that guy. I guess I don't know. He could be little baby Chris. He could narrate the movie. <laughs> he could be young Tony. Yeah, the he elementary could be, school. Exactly. <laughs> he could be young Tony. All right. He could be uh, Dicky's girlfriend or whatever her name is. Just like subpoena. Yeah. That's
1: what I was gonna say. Yeah.
0: yeah. He could be the gun that Johnny fires into the wife's hair. Oh, Jesus. I don't know. Okay.
1: Could he be Jude?
0: No, he could not. Why not? Because that dude nails it, man. You guys are fucking he, does. Jude. he
2: does. He Jude. does.
0: Jude Law in another movie? Or? Oh, Jude. Right. But I think uh, anybody else got anything else they want to say? I no, think we're good, man. All right. So uh, in the words of Tom Cruise.
2: Oh. Like it.
0: That's it for this episode of $20 Ticket. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at $20 Ticket. That's $20 Ticket for more content. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and if you've got the time, leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's $20Ticket at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, before we get into the behind I hate bamboo shoots.
1: That should taste like feet. (laughs) Tell me I'm wrong.
0: It does, doesn't it? Tastes like feet.
1: (laughs) Have you had bamboo shoots?
0: I think you're gonna ask, have I had feet?
2: (laughs) 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 Well it's the same thing. So, because like I look at Scarlett Johansson, she lost a lot of same. money.
1: What? I look at her too. okay. okay. <laughs> Being serious. But I'm.